welcome to the Radiant Life Podcast. I am your host, Tatiana Kuto, and I am a master mindset coach, and I'm obsessed with empowering you to live and create your best life possible. If you're looking to uplevel your mindset, life, happiness, and success, then you're in the right place. My goal with this podcast is to help you see the potential within yourself, to be able to break the limiting beliefs and habits that are holding you back, and to help you feel inspired to get clear with who you are in order to create the life you desire. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Radiant Life Podcast. Today is a super special episode. Other than the fact that I got to interview the first male speaker on the show, I had the privilege to interview Evan Transu, who is a professional youth mental health speaker and radio broadcaster, and he shares his aha moment. In today's episode, he opens up and gets super vulnerable on his story battling mental health disorder, how drugs played a role, but he gets to share with you his comeback story, his aha moment, how he overcame the darkest point in his life and how he has turned it into his passion, into his purpose, and has given you so much wisdom, so many tools for you to apply and take back into your lives. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And let's just dive in and get into the episode. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Radiant Life podcast. We have Evan Transu on here. You're actually the first male guest on the show. So welcome. I'm excited to have you on here. That's an honor too, especially because I'm pretty sure you have a good amount of episodes out, don't you? Yeah, we're coming up at the time of this recording. I think we're coming up close to the 50 mark. Very nice. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here. I know. I'm excited. I've been on, so you guys know, I was on his podcast. What was that? When did we do that? Something says March, but I don't know what date. Yeah, right? And Sounds so right, we, though, right? We're connected. So you guys have a background. We are in the same friend group, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we got connected that way. And he's going to share a little bit of his story in the background here. But yeah, I was honored to be a part of his podcast and share my story, my message. And he has a lot to say, a lot of motivation, a lot of um, inspiration based on his backstory. And I can't wait to get into it. So let's just dive right in. Um, tell us about yourself. Tell us like what you do now and just dive into your story. Sure. So what I do now, I do have a, like two sides to me almost. I have this side that loves the functional health and natural health side of things, which we actually won't be talking about as much today. It's an important part of my life and I do it, but it's not for today necessarily. The other side though, is really speaking professionally, primarily to students, mostly middle school and high schoolers. So now, thankfully, I'm finally getting some invites on the calendar because at uh, recording this in August of 2021, and there's in-person invites on the calendar again. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have one on August 18th coming up. I'm like, there is no way this can get canceled. Please just let me do this one thing so I can get my fix. But, you know, nonetheless, you still get to do it online, even when uh, the pandemic had gotten really bad. Is it the same? No. Are you still able to help and impact people? Absolutely. Now, I'm not opposed to speaking to, I've done groups of teachers, I've done conferences with counselors, superintendents and teachers there. And that's actually really powerful in its own sense. And I, I love that as well. But there is something so cool about speaking to a group of middle schoolers or high schoolers and actually being able to connect with them and get them serious about their mental health and understanding what's going on. So we'll dive into why that's a passion of mine for sure. And then outside of that, I actually am 
well, we're kind of restarting a new show because I've been on the radio in the greater Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area since about September of 2020. And I decided that I wanted to switch the shows up. So it used to be about functional health. Now it's all about uh, mental health. So by the time you're listening to this, 100% that first episode would have been out and it's saved as a podcast. So search for the Friday Mental Health Power Hour with Scotty P and Ev. We're live in uh, Philadelphia every Friday at 6 to 7 p.m. And so we're getting people's mindsets right. We're getting um, them ready for the weekend. So that's what I'm doing nowadays. Yeah. I love that. So what were you always a speaker? What gave you that passion to not only to speak to students, but to share, you know, you're on the radio, you have podcasts, like what initiated that passion for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's where we dive into the actual stuff that led to that. And, you know, if you don't mind, we'll rewind all the way back to five years old. Cause that's seriously when this all started. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. I grew up as a really relatively normal kid overall. I had a great life and I don't mean that in some spoiled way, but I also want to be transparent for people just to understand that I grew up in an area that is not rich, solid upper middle class, good school districts, good teachers, good doctors. I mean, everything that you would really need or think that you would need is right there. But the problem was I kind of had this secret going on starting at five. And what was happening now we know was that I was actually experiencing full blown panic attacks at that age. And just to be clear for people, because some people get confused about this, I would I would tell this if this was the truth, there was no abuse at that age, there was nothing going on. I mean, I, I lived a great life, like I said, but I had that side to me that was incredibly anxious uh, to the point of experiencing these panic attacks every now and then. And we wouldn't figure out that's what it was 100% until 10 years later at 15, when I went back to the doctors and my parents said to the uh, doctor, he's like, we came here to the same family practice 10 years ago and asked what this was. And you guys said, quote, Evan just gets himself a little too worried. He gets himself too worked up. He's gonna outgrow this, don't worry. Now guys, just because I'm in the functional space to be clear about what I'm saying here, I'm not in uh, against like Western medicine or something. This person obviously had my best interest at heart. They just didn't even recognize that a five-year-old male would be coming in with his two parents coming from a good family uh, dealing with panic attacks. And so having not addressed that at the time, it really it led to a lot of issues. One issue was, of course, the obvious in that my mental health issues are now continuously getting worse without getting the proper treatment that they deserved. But there was a second part of it. I was always... um. <laughs> I always feel like someone took the juice from one side of my brain and put it to the other. And what I mean by that is, you know, you definitely didn't want to see me throw a football as a kid. Um, you definitely didn't want to see me try to talk to people. I was not good at those things. But all that juice that would normally go to those activities got like dumped into academics. So I was kind of a thinker. I did well in school. And I just I remembered things and things hit me at five as if I was like an adult almost. And I just remembered that doctor saying, you know, because they're talking to my parents, but I'm in the room. Oh, Evan just gets himself a little too worked up. He's going to outgrow this. But for those that have never experienced a panic attack, a panic attack, you can look this up yourself. The symptoms make you feel as if you are going to die. One of the symptoms, if you look it up, is a, quote, fear of impending doom, end quote. You feel like you're going to die. You get a tightness in your chest. Your throat gets tight. You might start hyperventilating. You feel as if you can't breathe. I mean, it's a traumatizing experience to have once, let alone repeatedly over and over and over again while you're a kid. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because on one end, I'm a kid. 
I have this authority figure telling me, oh, he, he's just going to outgrow this. It's fine. But then this side, this is me talking to myself. This is real. This hurts. This is scary. I think I'm going to die. And I started to realize I didn't come to the conclusion that I was going to outgrow it. I came to the conclusion, and this is the words that I used, I must be crazy because I think I'm going to die and the doctor doesn't think anything's wrong with me. I must be crazy. Something must really be wrong with me. And so that's a hell of a thing to adopt at any age, let alone that young. But that solidified over the years. And I became someone that would not talk to anyone about any negative emotions that happened in my life. I still have to work on this to this day. This, I mean, this was over a decade. It's just bad feeling, repress, repress, repress. I can't share this with people. No one can know what's going on. And so, well, I'll pause there for a second. I don't know if you have anything and then I can kind of- Yeah, I'm, I'm just like life. stunned because just just the, like, I, I mean, I, I know Evan, we've met in person once, but I haven't, we haven't gone in depth of your True. story. So I'm True. kind of listening this listening to this as the first time because I, I wanted it to be kind of like fresh and just raw. So um, how, how many were you having? When I was in that younger age range, I would say, I mean, on, let's take on average from five to 10 years old, probably once or twice a month tops, 10 to 20 minutes. I mean, my parents didn't even take me to the doctor for the initial one, not because they're not good people. It's just the rest of the time I was this happy, smiling kid that did super well in school. And like, yeah, okay, he's a little awkward on the basketball court, but I mean, the kid gets straight A's, like he's happy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really all you can ask for at that age is the kid either has to be super good at sports or super good at school. If they're good at both, they're a rock star, you know? So yeah. at least I had one of those. And um, yeah, so it was looked at as, okay, this is a thing, this is a problem, but it wasn't necessarily like, okay, this is huge because it happened with such... I guess there was a lot of time in between each yeah, one. Yeah, so that's what happened. It was once a week or anything. Yeah, it wasn't until I got, like I said, into that 14, 15 year old range that it was, it wasn't once or twice a month anymore. That's for sure. What, what did it end up becoming? So I'll, I'll kind of segue into that with a brief story about what happened. So yeah. I'm going for 10 years. I, I definitely deal with generalized anxiety disorder. I'm dealing with panic attacks on and off, but you get to a certain point almost, especially if you're dealing with that from a young age where you just accept it. I mean, this is, this is who I am. I'm thinking always in the back of my head, I must be crazy or something super wrong with me, but I'm not going to share this with other people. And that's that. I mean, it is what it is. Right. And then when I was 15, I was over my buddy's house with a couple other buddies and his parents were home. They're watching us. I think it was like four or five of us. And one of these things started to happen while I was in his basement, like hanging out, like we're all watching TV. We're less than an hour away from being picked up kind of. And I got this feeling like, okay, well, I can't breathe. And then this over, and if anyone's experienced this out there, you kind of already know what I'm talking about. It's damn near impossible to explain if you've never had it, but this feeling kind of came out of just, so I'm in the basement and I feel this about to come on. Now I'm not, you guys got to understand, I still didn't even have this name or label of what this is. I just know this is something that happens to me sometimes. At that point, I feel like I'd probably been like three or four months on a streak of not having to really deal with this stuff. And I felt totally good. So it's not like I was even registering. There wasn't the proper way of registering that this was a real thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is a new experience. It feels like almost every single time. And so within probably, I don't know, 30 seconds, even though I'm trying to hide this from my guy friends, again, we're all 15, like we're bros, you know what I mean? You don't want to show this type of thing any guy wouldn't want to show this, let alone someone who's already been repressing stuff for this long. 
I, I mean, I just lost it. The panic attacks were overwhelming and they, you can hide all you want. They win every single time. I just shot up from the couch that we were sitting on and I sprinted up the stairs. And I mean, I was just screaming and yelling and I'm yelling to his parents, you know, I can't breathe. Like I need, I need help. And of course, if you're yelling, you can breathe, but no one's registering that at the, in the moment. It's adrenaline. And now we have parents involved that this 15 year old that they're watching is saying he can't breathe. So she, um, the mom and my friend whose house it was, they rushed me to the hospital. As we're going to the hospital, I'm starting to calm down in my head. And the reason that's important is because panic attacks come on really quick and they leave just as quick as they came on. And yes, you're still worked up, but you kind of are back in your state of like, all right, oh my God, I'm not going to die. Like, I'm fine. I just need to calm down. Everything's cool. But I was so embarrassed that I kept that image up. Like, I just, I kept acting like I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out because I didn't want to tell them what just happened because I don't even know how to explain it, to be fair. I don't know how to say, like, it's not like I could even say this is a panic attack. I mean, that's one thing. It's like, oh, this just happens to me sometimes. Sorry, guys. We get to the hospital. The vital signs are all good. The, the mom and the friend go home as soon as my parents got there. And it was just like, hey, okay, obviously he's fine. I'll talk to you tomorrow, man. I'm, I'm so glad you're okay. That was an intense one. Um, I don't know if this is as severe as what other people feel when they describe this. That was the only time in my life I did have in the car. I'll never forget it. It was when we got out into the car and we're first driving out of the neighborhood that my friends lived in. Um, my life flashed before my eyes. I started seeing this incredibly fast paced reel of all these little mistakes I had made, but also a lot of positives throughout the years. And it happened to me. I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't even know what that means, but it did happen to me. And it's a very odd experience because you're processing things at a thousand miles per hour but you're also completely understanding it. It's wow. nothing like I've ever experienced. That day was what I call, even though it took a few years to really get to this end point, it was kind of the beginning of the end for me. That was a final straw. That led to daily panic attacks, sometimes multiple times a day for the next three or four months. It was genuine panic disorder at that point. My whole life became a thing of exhaustion, a thing of having these panic attacks and feeling terrified and feeling burnt out. But then another characteristic and, and symptom of panic disorder is a preoccupation and a fear with the next panic attack. Um, My whole life, again, not being dramatic was just scared and exhaustion, having these intense moments, and then scared and exhaustion again. And that continued for again, about three to four months just with the panic attacks. Wow, that's a very heightened state to constantly be in, and especially in a state of fear. Yeah, uh, I I can't imagine as you're talking about this. I've had anxiety attacks before, but I don't. The way you're describing your attack is not how I, I mean similar, but not as severe okay. of an intensity. So wow, I'm just first time really actually hearing about panic attacks that are and that I, intense. That's a really great point, Tatiana, because I'm not sure sometimes. I know that when you say that, obviously you're telling the truth, but I wonder like, does mainstream media describe anxiety and panic attacks wrong? Or mm. did mine just happen to be super severe? Is there levels to it? I have no idea. I, really, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. But yeah, no, I mean, panic attacks for me was 100% certainty. If I don't get up and go, if I don't do something right now or get to a hospital, I'm going to die. 
And it didn't matter how smart I was. It didn't matter how many times it happened. It didn't matter if it happened earlier that day and it's the nighttime. You're positive this is the one that's going to kill you. It's a terrible experience. Yeah, it's like you're, that fear really takes over all of your thoughts. Overrides just... all logic. All logic goes out the drain. Wow. So you were in a very heightened state of constantly experiencing these for three to four months. And then mm -hmm. what happened for you to take more control over them or to decrease the, the severity in the, yeah, the amount <laughs> you were having? Well, the amount and consistency was kind of luck. Um, what happened is summer happened. And for a high schooler, you know, summer's like a chill time. Now, I don't want to ever imply that school was the cause of my panic attacks. It wasn't. I had panic attacks in the summer. I had panic attacks outside of school. The reason looking back, I think that was significant is because the vicious cycle of these panic attacks was I was in such a fight or flight response all the time. I wouldn't go to bed until about three or four in the morning. But then when you have school, you have to be up at six or seven. I ended up, I, I mean religiously took Wednesdays off because I just couldn't make it through the whole week. So I'd take, I go to school like Monday and Tuesday. I take off Wednesday because I was so sick at that point or just felt so exhausted. And then I'd go Thursday and Friday. I, I needed the break because I was tired. And the, so the significance of summer is that yes, I could be up till 4am, but I could also sleep till 12 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. It's like, so I would finally have those burnout exhaustion moments, but then I could sleep until that later point. So now it, at least it was, absolute exhaustion, seven, eight hours of sleep a night versus absolute exhaustion, two and a half hours right to school. This was just not sustainable. So summer kind of saved me in that way, but it didn't change the fact that things were still pretty bad. Mm -hmm. One of the things that can happen to, I mean, anyone, of course, anyone can experience depression, but it's very common for someone that is dealing with generalized anxiety disorder for a long time panic disorder or any anxiety disorder to eventually experience major depressive disorder. I'm sure there's many reasons that can happen, especially yeah. you know, with the health stuff I know, but just from a totally practical sense, it, the depression comes from a legitimate just defeat. It's mm -hmm. a, a feeling of, wow, what is happening to me? This, this sucks. This isn't going away. And it actually becomes a clinical depression. Clinical depression, major depressive disorder changed me as a person. Anxiety, yes, affected me, but I was always still Ev. Major depressive disorder made me someone that I wasn't. And I did a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. I'm always transparent about them because it's important to share, but I cannot express enough to people that are out there listening, especially if anyone's listening and like has a kid or something and doesn't get this. You need to have consequences for people's actions, but we also need an explanation of people's mm -hmm. actions. And the truth of the matter is everything I'm about to share with you in the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, it was all because of mental health issues. Does it mean I'm not responsible? No, but these things probably would have never happened without that. So again, I'll, I'll pause just for a second. I don't know if you have anything before I kind of go into that. No, I'd love to go into it. I, I'll probably add in a little bit because I had similar things when I was sure. in a depressive state. And like you said, sometimes you do think things or your actions don't really reflect who you truly are. Um, it's because of your mental state of being. So yeah, I would love to hear um, yeah, your story of how you sure. kind of transitioned out of that. Sure. So again, this is around 15 years old. My birthday's in September. And so the reason I'm mentioning that is just for a timeline for people. So this summer happens, September comes up, I'm 16 at the time. Now that summer is when, and it was June of, I don't know, I guess it was 2011. That's when I started using substances for the first time. 
I was against this stuff. I was, I was the kid in the group that if you drank alcohol or smoked weed, I told you I was not going to be your friend anymore. Like it was not like, I'm not doing it, but that's fine if you do. It was, I'm going to tell your parents. Depression changed me as a person. Like I said, mm-hmm. depression made me numb. I think I became a lot more impulsive. I no longer thought into the future. I thought, how do I feel better right now? There, there was no plan to my life whatsoever which was strange because, I mean, you don't even know me that well uh, in terms of like best friends where you have close friend groups, but I'm sure you even know how much of a planner I am and like organized and just, I get this stuff done. Like that's who I am. That went out the window. It was all just immediate. How do I feel better in this moment? Cause I'm so tired of feeling Mm -hmm. numb and feeling scared and feeling anxious. This sucks. It started with me uh, for just with just with weed, you know, and I, I do think that's a relatively mild thing. I'm not encouraging anyone in high school to use it. I, I really regret that and think that'd be a really wise thing for people to avoid until they're adults. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not going to act like that's cocaine or heroin. It is not the same thing. But when you're using it to cover up mental health issues, and this is one of the things I always tell students is, guys, that's you're running a huge risk there, you know, because you're not addressing the actual thing. And I think students actually, what's cool is they really resonate with that message because it's not someone coming in and saying, oh, kids, you know, don't do drugs or drink alcohol again. It's like, you guys can do whatever you want. I'm telling you, I did this. It's a really bad idea. So not telling you what to do, but use some common sense. Weed kind of worked, but it also caused extreme panic attacks. Like when I smoked, I'd have panic attacks a lot. And looking back, I mean, I'm trying to play psychologist now. Because I've talked to people about this, counselors and stuff, and the only thing we can even come to the conclusion of is perhaps I was so afraid at that point of the lack of control that was perceived in my life that I kept doing this because, all right, at least I get to choose now when the panic attack happens. You know, I'm involuntarily doing this. I have no idea. I mean, this is like some Freudian stuff there. You know what I mean? But Yeah, but it's a, a great theory. I, I don't have any other rhyme or reason to it because weed, especially in the beginning, did not really provide significant relief at all. And in fact, caused a lot of anxiety. However, um, I kept using it. And even though I was the last person in my friend group to ever try a drug or alcohol, I very quickly became the one with the biggest problem with these things. I'm now the one in just a matter of months that needs to smoke weed every single day. And what happened as, oh, I'm just going to smoke at night turned into let's smoke in the morning. Let's smoke at school. Let's smoke in the afternoon. Let's start selling weed because I can no longer afford to keep up with how much I'm smoking. I'm smoking multiple grams a day. I didn't even move to alcohol next. And this is the importance of that message for the people out there is I was not using drugs to get high. I was using drugs to hide. And so the next logical step for me was not alcohol. I looked at my friends that were drunk. I knew I didn't like being out of control or how anxiety made me feel. Think about, seriously, if you've never drank, think about that time when you're looking at someone who is drunk, you can't tell that you feel good and giddy and relaxed or whatever. You're looking at someone that seems like they're totally out of control. I was so scared of alcohol. I'm like, why are these idiots doing this? (laughs) I had no interest in alcohol whatsoever. So Unfortunately, uh, my next choice was actually Xanax. And I did not get this from a doctor. I got this on the street from a friend's brother. And just to really, again, bring this point home, I looked this up. I did all my little research. I was, I was still a researcher back then. Um, like I, was, <laughs> I love I was it. Exact guy to some degree. And I'm researching online, like, what is the lowest dose that doctors give people? So my first time taking this, honest to God, was actually taking the lowest prescribed dose that you could get. I just didn't want to tell anyone that I'm using this drug. 
the bittersweet part about that was that drug really worked. I mean, mm. it was, I, I read about it in my book. It was one of the most profound experiences of my life in the sense that I always carried around like chronic shoulder pain and neck pain. Now, what would you typically take for that? If you're going to, if you're in the mindset of, I take something for that, oh, ibuprofen, Advil, Aleve, whatever. No, no, no. Like a Xanax did this. I felt in 30 minutes, my shoulders, like, I don't have pain anymore. I'm relaxed. I'm like kind of smiling, like I'm happy. And I just, I had this feeling of, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Like this feels, this feels so good. Like the first time where you could feel not yeah. And I mean, all of those other emotions. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to get too technical out here because not everyone's a doctor, but like, guys, we're talking a quarter milligram of Xanax. That's a, you know, you could slip that to someone and they might not even notice that they took something like that's a heck of a low dose. I, I wasn't high on this. I just didn't have my symptoms anymore. I'm like, I feel so good because of that. I wanted to feel better. And so 0.25 of a milligram, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Quarter of a milligram which was an innocent thing at one time, very quickly, I mean, within a matter of weeks became, okay, let's go take two milligrams or three milligrams and then let's smoke weed with it. Then I started drinking alcohol a few months after that, not because I never wanted to get drunk. I hated getting drunk even the first time I tried. I'm like, I don't wanna do this. I'm doing research, little science nerd that I am. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't get Xanax because it's really hard to get unless I want to deal with incredibly sketchy people. So I'm not going to do that. So, oh, I can buy this amount. And if I take a shot or two, it potentiates it and makes it 10 times stronger. So I don't need to buy it anymore. I don't get a hangover. I don't get super drunk. I'm just blacked out and I don't have to feel anything. And this is a terrible way to live. It's terrible to live in a way that you think, oh, blacking out is a better reality than just being with my friends sober and hanging out. As you can kind of already tell where I'm, I'm getting out with this, because anyone that's an adult watching this, you kind of know how it goes when someone's using drugs every day and selling weed to support their own habit or selling a much harder drug. You end up losing one of three things, your friends, family, your freedom, or your life. I obviously didn't lose my life. I'm here with you today, but I did lose uh, those first two things for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, it was because of a really serious situation that happened that led to my aha moment. So if you're cool with that, I'm happy to kind of go into that right now. Yeah, let's transition. I love how transparent you're being because I just want to add in, well, you you were getting these these pills technically like off the market, off doctors. My story is I was getting pills from doctors at it, such a young age. And that's where it's just like, it's so crazy. It's either way, it's we're using it to, for me as well, like escape and cope versus having the tools to be able to do it in more of a organic way and fashion. So yes, I dive in. I want to hear your aha moment, how you overcame this. Sure. Well, I, I love what you just said too, because, you know, yes, you might be able to limit the amount that you get from a doctor and it might be more controlled, but getting it from a doctor or getting it off the street, assuming it's legit, mm -hmm. it's the same drug. It's oh, the yeah. same drug. And so you can run into really similar problems. And quite frankly, I'm lucky I didn't take Xanax even younger than that or actually get prescribed it. Because I feel like that's when I would have really had a, a, not that this wasn't a problem, but if I had a constant supply being told this is okay to take daily, that yeah. might have really messed me up and changed um, the course of my life. But uh, nonetheless, we had some stuff going on before that for sure. So what happened is I'm going to fast forward a little bit to about 17 days into my senior year of high school, I'm two weeks away from my 18th birthday, and this will all matter in a second. I've lived for the last year and a half just about selling weed, using drugs every single day, 
I went from a kid that at one point in his life, um, again, academics was my thing. I scored like top six out of 1400 kids on a state standardized math test in my district. Wow. I was recommended for the gifted program, straight A's, and I'm now failing high school. Um, it just, it was a, a big turn for stuff and it just didn't work out the way on paper you would have thought it was going to work out one day. Mm-hmm. 17 days in, I'm starting to realize that weed's not working as much for me anymore. And this is actually a really common experience I've heard amongst people, even if they're not using it to hide mental health, people that abuse weed over time, it like, it almost like, it, I feel like your neurochemistry is just kind of burnt out maybe, maybe the receptors are burnt out. And you're just not getting high anymore. You're more like zoning out. And it's like a very just negative feeling. And I was having these reflections on, okay, this isn't working. You still don't really know what's going on with you. Like you don't feel good. You're failing school. Like, why are you wasting all this money and risking going to like juvie or something for doing this? And in two weeks, dude, if you're 18 and you get caught doing what you're doing, driving around drunk and high, selling weed, you're going to jail. Like that's not going to be cool or cute or funny. Like, you need to stop. And so I actually did. I really made this pact and I, wow. I did it. The problem is I only stopped for 36 hours. And uh, I, I say that <clears throat> chuckling. It's not that it's funny, but it's just that I really did try, but I'm still in this mindset that I can't tell anyone about this. And I'm doing this on my own. I, I, everything's got to be Evan Transu and Evan Transu himself. So I'm not sitting here ignorant enough to think that someone can withdraw, so to speak, from marijuana. That's something that is not proven in the literature at all. It doesn't seem to be able to happen. But I wasn't using any other drugs on a daily basis. I I really wasn't. Like, I used them often. I wasn't using them on a daily basis. But some concoction or mix of what I was doing ended up leading to sensations that I can really only describe as withdrawal once I stopped everything all at once. And so the first 12 hours was actually kind of like good. Like I almost felt I'm calming down a little bit. I'm feeling a little clear head. I'm like, all right, wow, I, I can do this. Like, this is good. I set, I set a goal for myself to get a 4.0 that semester in school. I was like, I, wow. I can do this. So I really was trying. I was just so far away from being where I needed to be to achieve these things. Then the 30 hour mark starts hitting. And that's like kind of the beginning of the school day because um, I was in school that day. I'm not doing so well. I'm getting pretty pissed off at people. I'm getting into like verbal altercations with many individuals. I actually at one point was supposed to fight my 240 pound friend. I was 150 pounds in high school (laughs) after school at my car. And I think he didn't show up just for the sake of like, he's like, dude, this guy's just gotta be crazy right now. Like, what is he doing? Like, he knows he cannot win this. I'm not gonna fight my, like one of my best friends, but I was really getting to him, man. I was pissing him off. Um, I'm having this realization too, because I'm seeing things for the first time in almost two years through sober eyes. And I'm like, wow, your health is terrible. Like I meant even just physical health. Wow, you're failing school. Wow, your relationships suck. You could do perfectly this senior year. You're not going to any college. That was the only thing I ever had. You know, I again, I couldn't talk to people. I was really oh. nervous to do that. I couldn't do the sports thing. I should have been able to go to any college I wanted. And now in my head, I ruined that as well. I'm like, damn, man, like what's going on? And all of this is hitting me at once, not to mention an additional two years of untreated mental health issues that I'm now fully experiencing because I'm not high. I couldn't take it. I was overwhelmed. I left school that day to go buy Xanax. Now, I know this was ironic because I just quit weed and trying to start this new life, but I was like, holy crap, this is bad. Like this feeling will kill me way faster than whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm going to go get this. And I'm on my way to get it. And I, uh, as someone who has become a more of a spiritual person, I don't talk about this part in student talks. It's not important, but on a podcast, I'm fine with it. As someone who's become more of a spiritual person, I can't help but feel that the next situation that happened is uh, one that little intervention came in to kind of help me out from making a really big mistake that day. Cause I had a lot of money from selling and um, I could have bought a lot and I really mm. could have formed a true addiction at that point. The story I'm about to share with you guys, I always say this, but it just helps me. Um, it's embarrassing. It is one that I, it really never gets easier to share, especially when it's like, this is a friend, mutual friend that I have. And I, even just sharing it to you is embarrassing, let alone on a camera, but it is what it is. I need people to understand that there are consequences to not getting help for our mental health issues and to encourage people to do that ASAP or help someone that they love do it ASAP. So I left school that day. I'm going to buy the Xanax um, three or four minutes into the car ride. Now I'm old enough, you know, I'm in my family member's car, I'm driving. So no one would tell or be able to tell that I'm a student necessarily outside looking in because I'm just driving this little black sedan. On the right of me though is a school bus. Out of the back of the bus are two kids about a grade or two younger than me. I didn't know that till later. I had no idea who they were, but grade or two younger than me. And they are flipping me the middle finger. It is a joke. It is a prank. They do not know me. I do not know them. It is as stupid as stupid could be. I lost it. I took out every little thing that I was feeling that day. The feelings of being a failure, the feelings of having a crappy relationship with my girlfriend, the feelings of ruining my relationships with my parents and family, failing school. Like I, I couldn't take it. This was the one situation I could control. And I just snapped and I, I followed the bus. I don't even remember the next 30 minutes of my life. It was what I now know was an adrenaline blackout. And I, I mean, I was sober, but I fully blacked out. I don't remember this. And so I have to fast forward to two and a half weeks later, where I'm now sitting in the superintendent of my school district's office with my parents, my guidance counselor, the superintendent himself, obviously, um, and my house principal. The superintendent gave me one chance to tell my story and explain why I thought what I had done two weeks ago was an okay thing to be doing. Well, I had heard bits of pieces of the story. And as we're about to find out, I got in a lot of trouble. So I knew I knew what was going on. So I didn't want to tell these people, um, hey, I, I blacked out and I wasn't even on drugs. I think I'm crazy. What do you think? Like, that's the language I was using. So I didn't want to tell them that. So I tried to make up an excuse and tell the best version of the story that I could. Um, you know, it wasn't good enough. It, it didn't match up close enough to what happened. And so it was like a it was like a bad movie, dude. It was we're sitting in this room. It is silent. And I get done just running my mouth, giving this BS spiel. And he just looks at me and my parents and he's like, okay. Picks up one of those PowerPoint clickers off the table. And I swear to God, clicks a button and a projector screen drops out of the ceiling. And he is starting to explain to us that he has a cell phone video of the incident that I just lied about and gave my version of the story of. And what showed up on that screen was not really close at all to what I had said. I had driven my car over the sidewalk and onto the lawn of some random person's house in the middle of this neighborhood where the bus stop was. There was about, I don't know, 10 or 15 people um, in this group yelling at me and screaming for me to stop. 
and most of them are recording and I literally look right at them at one point and I don't remember this group of people from that perspective holding phones to my face recording me. And what I'm doing is approaching the two kids who flipped me off. I am screaming. I am cursing at them. I am threatening them. I'm saying things I would not repeat on a podcast for any reason, but it was it was bad. I'm red in the face. I mean, my door's wide open. It, it's, I look like a person who's lost their mind. You know, I'm not being negative towards mental health issues. I don't want to promote a stigma because I've dealt with them myself. But guys, there's consequences if we don't get help for these things. And yeah. that's sometimes what mental health can look like at its worst. I did not mention this earlier. Um, I, I thank God that even in that state, this was not actually physically used, but it's an important part of the story that I apologize for leaving now. As I continued to sell weed, I was dealing with sketchier and sketchier people to get better and better prices so that I could sell less and afford to do it more because it terrified me to sell. I was so paranoid about it. And I got robbed a few times. Uh, listen, I'm like a pretty skinny guy now. I'm not like too big, you know, if you're watching this on video, but back then, I mean, dude, I just, I had nothing. Like I'm like 25 pounds heavier now. Like I got robbed. People just knew that they could take advantage of me. Oh, this some white kid from the suburbs, you know, like he ain't going to do things. And they were right. So I started, I bought it on Amazon. Literally, I carried one of those stupid, um, I don't even know what it's called. But it's not the one that shoots out. It's like a taser type of thing. It's oh, gun, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I had one of those. And now again, I did not use that that day, but I had it in my damn car. And in that state, I pulled it out. I clicked this thing. I mean, I'm threatening these kids with this. It was not okay. Like it was really, really bad. And so we're all kind of just sitting in this conference room and there wasn't much to say after that. It wasn't so much like, okay, well, hey, you lied here and look at this. It was more like, okay, here's what's gonna happen next. You're never coming back to this school. Um, we don't really care what you do. It's not happening. Your aunt is very high up in the district. So I embarrassed her. Um, she was very high up in the district when she was alive as she passed away from cancer uh, just this past year, but she was very high up in the district. She was the whole reason I even got to that school. I was supposed to go to a different school and she signed off on me coming to this one. So they're like, you're never coming back here. Best case scenario for you is you go to alternative school for you know the next uh, two semesters. If you do well, we will let you graduate at the school that you were supposed to go to. So that didn't really sound like a fun or good option. And uh, pretty quickly after that, we just kind of made the decision to withdraw from high school completely. And um, I don't have a normal high school diploma. I did end up getting a GED, but that actually was a really solid decision. <laughs> as funny as that sounds, I needed to get away from stuff. I needed yeah. to be in my own lane and just kind of doing my own thing. I couldn't be around the friends I was around anymore. Not all the time, at least. They're good people, but they were doing stupid things too. So it was like, oh, I need a break. And um, well, again, I kind of just, I know I can go on about this for a while because I do it often, but I want to make sure I'm pausing for a second too. And I don't have <laughs> Thank you. Yet. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so intrigued. And I, 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 I'm personally resonating. I don't know if those listening are too, because I've, been around a lot of drugs. I've done them. I know what it can do to you. I know how you can kind of be get addicted. You weren't, you know, you were getting it from, you know, dealers. I was getting it from doctors and yeah. I was telling doctors, I want to try other ones just so I could have more, just have more variety. Right. And I, I've seen, you know, what mental health and drugs have done to me and my, and my fam, fam, friends, excuse me. And um, so I re resonate a lot with your story. And I just want to thank you for being so open and vulnerable um, with sharing your story, because I think it's so important for those who are listening, if you've ever experienced this, if you currently are experiencing it, knowing that you are not alone, 
um, that other people have struggled with this as well. And so question for you is like, when you, when you watched that, what was like the first, can you remember what you first thought or felt or how that like was no one? Cause I know when you can black out, you can black out. And the fact that we live in an hour now that there's video footage of things. Um, yeah. yeah. What did that bring to you? You mean when I'm watching it in the conference room now, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. I'll be straight up. There is, it's not a blackout, but there's blurs. Um, I, I, I've repressed those memories, you know, and they're not necessarily memories I want to bring up. But when mm-hmm. I was writing my book, I, I was trying to get this back as much as I could. And so it was tough, but I, I sat with myself for the first time in a while. I'm like, what, what did I see there? I'm like, what, what was I watching? Like, what was going on there? And I just remember feeling like I was going to throw up. I remember kind of, I, I just, I'm not trying to be like weird, but like, I was like shaking yeah. like in my seat because I was so anxious. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm scared too, just in the sense of, all of this stuff's going on. I'm watching this thinking, how am I capable of this? Like, that's not Ev. I know that. Like, I'm a really nice little sweet dude. You know, I'm not not trying to fight people. So it scared me because, again, we need responsibility for our actions. There needs to be consequences. I made choices in my life that led to me being that out of control that day. That's why I'm responsible. But I swear on my life, I'm not just trying to take something away from this. Mm-hmm. Evan Transu did not choose to pull a stun gun out on kids that day and threaten them with it. I didn't make that choice. I was out of the driver's seat now, both yeah. literally and figuratively. Sorry, I t- tell this too much, so I'm okay making puns about it. But I'm <laughs> yeah. literally out of the car and no, mentally, I'm not in control anymore. So yes, that day, maybe not my fault. The years I knew something was wrong and I hit it, and mm-hmm. I hit it and I hit it. Yeah, no, that's why I'm responsible for that incident. So I just remember feeling shame. I felt fear. I was so nervous that this was being played in front of my parents and all these other people and just confused too. What is going on? I still remember, I don't even have any real formal diagnoses yet. I still yeah. don't know what's going on with me or what major depressive disorder is. I have no idea what these things are. I'm just like, what is happening? How did this, how did this happen? Wow. Yeah. And at such a young age too, I can imagine what that, yeah, all the thoughts and fear that it came up to you. So you, so you got your GED and you kind of, it sounds like you said you just got some time alone and yeah. Where did it go from there? Yeah. Well, this, I'm going to, two things here. One is the vulnerability thing. Cause you said that twice. And I, I really appreciate you recognizing that and saying that, and this is just a message for the audience. Lack of vulnerability was my biggest weakness. My whole life was lack of vulnerability, vulnerability, a willingness to be vulnerable now is my biggest strength and asset. This has given me a career. I know it has impacted people's lives. And that second option there, especially that's what encourages me to do it every single time, because I know there's someone that needs to hear it. And me, even if I'm nervous, saying it can literally be the thing I have seen this in schools that stops someone from this reckless path that I was on. If it does it one time, that's amazing. I've been blessed that I know it's done it more than one time. So we want to make sure we're moving into a place of vulnerability that we're comfortable with. And that's actually useful. We all, we don't have to dump our deepest, darkest secret at, secrets out on the yeah. table every time. That's not always useful, but we should do it at a level that we are comfortable with. And that actually helps us. So the second part there is, yeah, this is where it leads to the aha moment. And this is where things really start to shift around. And then we'll be able to talk about the mindset stuff and um, a lot of the great things today, right? Yeah. So I get arrested. Uh, that day with that incident with the stun gun. I was arrested about 15 minutes after the incident. And that was actually what snapped me out of it. My memory goes from, I can 
vaguely make out the shape of the kids flipping me off. And then my next memory is driving down the highway and I see a cop stopped on like, like at a gas station. And it, I don't like I must have understood, even though I didn't remember, I did understand you just did something bad. I don't know mm -hmm. how else to say this because it instantly snapped me. I'm like, oh, my God. Pulls out behind me. I'm like, wow. Two seconds later, lights go on. And then um, I was surrounded by about five or six cops. They didn't even come until they had that many because, again, I had a, technically a weapon in the car. And so I wouldn't get out. I, I thought I was being all rebellious. <laughs> I, and I was just scared. I didn't want to get, I couldn't accept what just happened. I yeah, that must have been like, terrifying. I'm like, I'm not getting out till I call my parents. I'm not getting out till I call my parents. And this guy, I mean, they don't care about stuff like that, man. They're tough. They were nice in the beginning. And he pulls out what it call that like a baton or something. Oh, yeah. Said, you get out of the car or I'm busting your window. So you choose. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. Unlock that door and get the hell out of there. Right. And I got taken to juvie. Um, I did spend a little time in juvie because of this incident. Mm -hmm. um, my parents, God bless them, still had faith in me here at this time. And they used, well, I can't actually, they used money to pay for a psychologist to come in quickly, because otherwise I would have been there for a few weeks guaranteed. And the psychologist did not guarantee that I was going to get out. He had to do an evaluation for a danger scale. And I forget what the test is called, it's still used to this day, though, I believe. And you get a scale of like zero to 30. 30 is the most dangerous. That's going to be where, I mean, you're probably falling in like the psychopathic category at that point. I take this test. He does this with me. It's like an interview. I get a two, <laughs> you know, and like, I'm like freaking out thinking that I'm like a menace to society. Now he's like, dude, he's like, I don't think you're dangerous. I think you have a lot going on. He made some other comments that aren't relevant for today. I'm not like hiding something. It's just, it would make no sense in this context. Yeah. And he's just like, dude, you need to like focus on this stuff and work on it. And so I was able to get out early because of that. So that was wonderful because I hated being in that juvenile detention facility. And then I went home and I, I did spend a few weeks on house arrest. I actually spent the day of my 18th birthday with an ankle monitor on. So that was about as crappy as crappy can get. I guess, well, that's not true. I could have been in juvie. So I'll take my blessings there because at least I got to be in my bed or something. I would love to tell people that the aha moment was like the psychologist saying I'm not dangerous. No. You see, I never went and talked about this stuff. So I didn't have the coping mechanisms developed to deal with pain. I couldn't deal with the mental health issues. I just destroyed my reputation of my whole school. I destroyed my reputation with my family members. I destroyed it with many of my friends, people to this day. Thankfully, I've been able to renew like 90% of these relationships. There are certain people that will just never talk to Evan Transu again because of what occurred that day. Wow. And, you know, maybe I would do it differently, but I, I can't really blame them because they're mm -hmm. looking at it like this guy's dangerous. Who the hell does that? The kids flipped him off and he chased this bus. Yeah, um, at the very least, I can empathize and understand how that might not be a person you want to engage with, or at least it would be very confusing to understand how a still good person could do something like that. Fair enough. Yeah. So the aha moment came on, ironically, of all days, uh, New Year's Eve of that year. Okay. And I say ironically, because what's New Year's Eve, Tati? It's like the day that people are setting New Year's resolutions, let's make a new life, whatever. Well, on probation, I was getting urine tested, but... I, and, you know, I'm not going to say how I did this because you're not supposed to be teaching people this stuff. I will just say I was a researcher. Again, maybe a little too smart for my own good. <laughs> I figured out how to fake using drugs and how to get away with the urine tests and yeah. how to hide what I was doing. I spent the next three and a half months before that New Year's Eve on some of the worst drug binges I had ever been on. I went to the doctors as an 18-year-old adult and said, 
I have anxiety, which was not a lie at that point. It really was, but I didn't mention, oh, I have anxiety and I've been abusing Xanax recreationally. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a prescription for Xanax. Now I can fail the drug test with that. Don't even have to worry. I mean, it it was insanity. It was absolute insanity, but that's what I did. And um, again, I'm not going to get into any more details of how to fake a drug test. That's not what we need to teach (laughs) today, but I learned how to do that and I got way better at hiding. So everyone thought I was moving up. I am the lowest I've ever been and certainly the closest to suicide I'd ever been. New Year's Eve, what happens is I convinced my parents and probation officer I should be allowed out. Now they said yes to this, but they were not that stupid. Their logic was, okay, he really does look like he's doing better. We should give some type of reward for that, encourage this good behavior. But again, they're not that stupid. So here's the deal, kid. You can get dropped off by mom and dad, but you got to get picked up by them as well, right at 12 o'clock. So at 18, that's not much of a New Year's Eve, you know what I mean? Like that's not particularly fun, but certainly better, better than sitting at home all night with mom and dad, you know what I mean? I get dropped off and uh, 10 minutes in, I'm drinking and doing drugs. At 12 o'clock, I get picked up by my mom and dad with my girlfriend, just like I was supposed to. Now she's coming in like almost out of nowhere, right? Like I haven't, I only mentioned her once, like kind of Mm -hmm. vaguely at one point. This was a person I had uh, been with for a few years on and off, turbulent relationship because of many of the things that I was uh, doing in the relationship. But nonetheless, this was the first person I ever loved. Likewise, likewise was true for her. Um, I don't mean this in like some a TMI way. I just mean this in terms of the specialness of the relationship. We were as with stuff as simple as kissing, you know, uh, like each other's firsts with a lot of yeah, stuff. I mean, first love. You, yeah, yeah. This was someone that I thought I was going to marry one day. And so I actually did have a deep care for her. But I just I wasn't expressing that. So we get in the car and over the course of the last six hours, I convinced her to do the exact same things I was doing. Well, not that this is a skill you want to have, but I kind of learned to hide this stuff. She wasn't able to hide it so well. She's like 105 pounds soaking wet. She's in the car and within 30 seconds, literally, is repeating sentences. I'm looking out the window like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to jail tonight. Because I knew if my parents saw that, like, they're going to call a probation officer. I am now 18. I'm an adult because I turned 18 on probation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jail. This is it. They were, my parents were so pissed. They stopped the car. They turn around and they start freaking out at her. They're not even looking at me because they didn't believe that I could actually be so stupid as to be doing this on New Year's Eve while getting picked up by them, while getting actively urine tested. So it was almost like it was so dumb that it was unbelievable. So they're thinking it's just her. So they're freaking out at her. And, you know, um, they said a lot of things that hurt because I I knew that she wasn't the one that deserved that tonight. They're saying Mm -hmm. things like, you know, how could you do this? Mm -hmm. You couldn't go one night being sober, even though I'm the one who convinced her to do this. And probably the worst one was, oh, you know how well Evan's doing right now. What if his probation officer is there when we get back? He could go to jail tonight for something you did, which actually was true. But of course, I did it. Yeah, I'm the one who got us to do this stuff. And behind this like arrogant, selling weed, totally want to be tough guy type of persona um, was actually someone who was really, you know, flipping scared and was just a coward. And she loved me, so she didn't say anything. And you would think when I got home, the only words out of my mouth would have been, thank you so much for not getting me sent to jail tonight. But this is how out of control that I was. And this I had lost all sense of personal responsibility. We get home. 
I start freaking out at this girl that I love. I mean, she's such a sweetheart. And I'm calling her names. I'm degrading her for getting caught for the thing I convinced her to do. And I just remember her bawling her eyes out for like an hour and a half straight. And I wake up in the morning and she had left. And this is the aha moment. This is what I was talking about. For all the things that happened to me or of all the things that happened to me, I do not know if this was just the icing on the cake or if young love just made it so powerful that it finally snapped me out of it. But I sat there in my bed. I had a hell of a headache, but I was sober. And I'm like, you are the biggest loser in the world. You got this girl here who on a funny note was so far out of my league. It wasn't even funny. Like she did not have to be with me at all (laughs) and stuck with me through all of this stuff. And you're freaking out at her, making her cry on New Year's Eve when she just came home at 12 o'clock getting picked up by your mommy and daddy because you're in trouble and can't get your stuff together. Like, wow. And this flood of self-awareness came in for the first time in years and just hit me like a brick wall. And I'm like, this isn't Evan Transu and his mental health issues anymore. It's Evan Transu, his mental health issues, and every single other person in my life that I'm bringing down with me because I refuse to get help. And I'm seeing all of this at once. I'm like, dude, you're killing these people. Yeah. And you're going to kill yourself. And I don't mean that, again, I use this word a few times, but I seriously don't mean that dramatically because I realized what my path was. Mm-hmm. Your path right now ends up in one of two ways. This side is dead. This side's in jail. You know, which one do you want? Why didn't one either? And the reason that was my aha moment is because that's the day that things changed. It was a rocky road. It's a journey of two steps forward, one steps back type of stuff, or one step back type of stuff, no doubt about it. But that was a pivotal point in my life. That was the New Year's Eve of 2013 going into 2014. And I will never, ever, ever forget that day um, or what that person did for me even if it was indirect, because they saved my life. They woke me up to what was going on. And the reason that I speak, the reason that I'm vulnerable now, the reason that I share stories on these podcasts, wrote the book and have dedicated, I mean, you know, Tatiana, my life is dedicated to this work. I realized as bad as my life had gotten, ruining the reputation, failing school, all these bad things, losing the love of my life. All these things had happened, but I got lucky. Because I started realizing, you know what, dude, shit. People don't get aha moments in life. And for every one person like me, there's a hundred that are in jail or dead or in rehab for the 10th time. You are so lucky. You have no idea. And I said, all right, I'm going to stop testing God. I'm going to stop testing luck. It's time to figure this out. And again, two steps forward, one step back type of stuff. I've never gotten to that place though again. And I've never looked back since then. And that's when the real journey started to happen of getting this stuff together. And so I have a quick call to action. If you're listening to this today and you are, maybe you know about this for someone in your life, but maybe you're the person. And statistically, there is if there's more than four people listening to this podcast, and I know there's a heck of a lot more than that, yes. then someone's dealing with mental health issues. If you are doing this in silence, do not let me just waste my breath here. Oh. Please make this the last day that you are choosing to do this alone. There is support out there. There is help out there. You can DM me on Instagram for all I care, and I will help you get those resources that you need. Do not not talk to someone because you think that you can't share these things. I promise you, you can. 
I promise you they're a lot more common than you realize because it's not stuff that's shared as publicly as this is. Yeah. Don't wait for the drug overdose. Don't wait for this damn incident of violence with the school bus and don't lose people that you love. Maybe you've already lost some of that stuff. No more. It okay. doesn't have to happen. You can change that today. And I'm asking that you please ask for help today immediately. Pause this and go do that if you're suffering with this stuff in silence. Yeah. And even if you know someone who is, please, I'm so glad that you did add that in. Cause for me, my experience was, I'm not going to get into it, but my experience was I wasn't fully suffering. Of course. Yes, I was, I, I've been on pills, but I had, um, I had friends who were severely struggling mm -hmm. and you need to get them help. You need yeah. to be able to let them know that you see them and you love them to get the help. And if you're listening, if this is you or your friend, yeah, you are not alone. And yeah, reach out to him, reach out to me. Um, because you are not alone and you can overcome this and you can have a comeback story because you yeah. have a comeback story. You are, obviously you just said you've never gone back. You are sharing your story and you're speaking to the youth and sharing. Um, I know you said you probably don't give them those details, but you speak, no. you are a radio broadcaster. So when you had that aha moment, did you have all of these dreams and plans of like who you are now or like, um, yeah, how was that? I mean, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> no, I, I just knew in that day that it wasn't so much what good do I implement? You know, sometimes living in neutrality can be a step up for someone that's living so far in the depths. So mm -hmm. the first step was just how do I stop the bad? How do I stop using the drugs? Do I stop hanging out with the people that I'm hanging out with? Because I, I was allowed out on weekends and I was on probation. And it's weird because when you start out on juvenile probation and then you turn 18, I actually, I, I got to the point where I had a reasonable curfew. I mean, I could stay out till 12 o'clock. Like the probation officer said, that's fine. So it's kind of strange because you're on probation, yeah. but I could still go out at five o'clock in the afternoon, get messed up for seven hours and then come home basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just terrible, but it, I mean, it was enough time to do that. And so I knew that needed to stop. I started going to the gym. I had been going to the gym for a couple of years and like, I was just messed around there, but I kind of took it a little more seriously. I made a plan. I looked stuff up. I'm trying to figure out like how to get better. And my life, I gotta be honest. It was a lot of watching TV. I loved criminal minds at that time. Um, it was a lot of video games. It was a lot of staying up till two or three in the morning, but I was getting away from the real bad. It was no more, let's use a ton of drugs. It was no more, you know, let's really put ourselves in dangerous situations and very risky situations. It's not a great life, but it's better. Then I met the mutual friends that you and I have that brought us together, which is just one more reason that shows that this is exactly all in divine order and happened exactly as it was supposed to. Yeah, I met some of the most incredible young adults ever, and they got me into a sales company that they were in. It was a always transparent about this. It was like a multi-level marketing, network marketing type of thing. And some people love it. Some people hate it. Whatever you think about it, I'm not in it now. It doesn't matter. Multi-level marketing companies focus on personal development. Yeah. That personal development changed my life in every single way and i am so thankful that i was in it because i mean you obviously know ben torres i'm pretty good friends with him yes ben at the time like i'm coming in first of all ben's a few years older ben had that same level of confidence and charisma that he has now probably even more so now but he had a ton back then and i looked up to this guy you know but i was miserable i had shitty results in my life i had nothing going on 
I was listening to everything that he was telling me to do. And he comes in, he says, I need you to read these books. He hands me the 10X rule. Actually, it was a list. I had to buy it. But it was the 10X rule, Thinking Grow Rich, and the Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. I was like, okay. So I read the Compound Effect first because that was the shortest one. And I start learning about like habits. And it's the first time I'm reading in forever. I'm learning about habits and I'm thinking about long-term stuff. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, I can actually set goals for my life. I can learn from people who have done what maybe I want to do, even though I don't know what I want to do yet. And then I owe so much to Ben. Um, I mean, seriously, he's just a wonderful person in my life because Ben got me into those books, sure. He was also the person that made me speak at my first event for multi-level marketing. Uh, now, yeah. two weeks before that event, I dropped out. I was in community college now because the probation officer wanted to see that. And I'm not against that. I just didn't want to go to college yet, but I went because it looked good for probation. Yeah. Two and a half weeks ago, I withdrew from my effective speaking course, AKA my public speaking course, because I was so scared to publicly speak. <laughs> and I spoke that day at that event and I just did the opener. It was only like four or five minutes. And I gave this presentation, everyone listened. And I was super nervous, but for the first time in my life, because you know how school is, they make you give presentations on things you don't care about. And it's to people that are like laughing at you and judging you. But these people weren't judging, they weren't laughing. And I'm talking about something that actually mattered to me. And that made me happy and that was impacting my life that was in may of 2014 and i knew after that day i don't know how to describe this i knew that i was supposed to go speak i sucked at speaking i was terrified <laughs> of speaking i said you're supposed to go share your story with this and it sounded pretty crazy back then but i mean heck it's what i'm doing now so there was something i took that seriously i took that purpose seriously and when I go out and speak to students, um, it's not just me speaking. I'll put it that way. It's yes. there's something else helping me out. And when I stay on that path, it's like everything I touch turns to gold. Yeah. I go away from that. All of a sudden I'm back to normal F and oh, this doesn't work or this failure. This is a failure. This heartbreak occurs. I stay on that gold, gold, gold. And I think we all have those paths in life, but we have to listen. We have yes. to learn to tap in. And when you follow that man, you'll know you're on the right track. It's not that you won't have a setback. It's just the setbacks are negligible. You don't care. You, you're like, I'm, I'm going through this, baby. I got this. Like, I'm yeah. coming for this because it means that much to me. And um, yeah, so that's when I kind of knew I, I wanted to speak and what I wanted to do with my life. And again, that was a little over seven years ago. I love that. And I love that you share that because, yeah, you're, you're in alignment. Yeah. Right? You get a download. And for me, my, this is my perception of the world. Like I believe that's God and I yeah. believe like he's walking with you. And if, you know, if you're listening and you know, it's for you, it's source or whatever the other terms can be, that's fine. I respect that. But for me, like I say that I have times where I talk and I'm like, wait, that was not me. And I'm like, yeah. this is, this is God just speaking <laughs> through me right now. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that you do feel that because you can feel it. And you're right. Like you say, like nothing can stop you. You're just, you're going through it. So what has allowed you since that moment to now to really slow, you said slow down, but outside of slowing down, what has allowed you to like tap in and to connect to that, um, that source, that energy, God, that higher power yeah. that you feel is moving through you. Sure. So I didn't even recognize what it was at that time. I, all I could describe it was, I knew I'm supposed to do this. I didn't take it as that interpretation that you just described, although I do now for the record, but mm -hmm. I grew up an atheist. 
Um, I was an atheist, like as a kid, I would argue people about God all the time. If you want to understand Ev in a sentence, this is it. <laughs> My grandmother has a journal of me at five and a half years old coming in and saying to her after getting dropped off, Grandmom, there is no God and there cannot be a God. That's, I am all left brain, all logic. Can you wow. imagine a five and a half year old saying that to you? I'm like, what? But I was just a weird little kid. Like That's the stuff that I did. And I didn't, this wasn't like, I don't want you guys to think it's like evil or satanic. It wasn't like grandmother. There's no God. It was more, <laughs> this is exactly how I bet it was. She probably said some comment. There's probably thunder. And she would always say it was God bowling. And I was probably like, grandma, stupid old lady. There isn't a God. There cannot be a God. Like out of here with that nonsense. Like where's my macaroni and cheese? Like just so crazy. <laughs> um, so it was never like an evil or dark energy coming out, but it was just this hyper logic of anything I couldn't feel or see yeah. could not be true. Mm -hmm. And so that was from a very young age. So I didn't even attribute it to that at that time, but I just, I had this feeling that I should do this. And I knew that when I continued to pursue it, I felt good. And it was like, I had this superhuman ability because I still had to go through all the normal things that people had to go through. I blushed like a cherry tomato for 40, I think it was 45, I started counting. It was 40 something presentations in that damn sales company before I finally <laughs> was able to get up in front of a room and not blush just once during a presentation. And so, I mean, I was terrified of this. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm like a little, I'm almost like red or tan right now because I'm down at the beach, but it's like this magnified. I'm just a, wow, I'm a waiter yeah. dude. So it was so obvious. You could be a hundred feet away and be like, dude, is this dude okay? Like what, what's going on? So. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really have any other nervous tells that I'm aware of, but it was so obvious. It was so embarrassing. And I just got to the point where I'm just, no, I'm going right through it. Like I didn't care. I could feel myself blushing. I'm giving my presentation. I'm keeping going. We're not addressing this at all. I'd be staring at someone. I could tell they're staring at me. Screw it. We're still doing this. And when you are on that path and when you follow those callings and those feelings, most people, if they were that embarrassed every time they spoke, you'd think the second, third, fourth, fifth, certainly the 10th time is gonna be enough to stop them. And you know what? For many things in my life, I do quit too early. This was different. It wasn't, we're gonna stop because it's too hard. It's, I'm going to keep going because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There is no other option. I'm gonna figure it out. And so I finally get that first milestone of great. I cannot look like a tomato in front of my <laughs> audience. Great first step. I took um, some courses by Dale Carnegie. You've probably heard of Dale Carnegie, obviously, for the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes, great book. Dale if you haven't read it, go read it. It's a great yeah, book. great book for communication. Dale Carnegie's public speaking courses are still taught to this day, and they're all over the world. And I went to one of those. I actually like ran a fundraiser um, on my like Facebook, and my family donated. It was like a beautiful thing. It was so cool. Uh -huh. I put up $800 myself. The other $800 was donated by friends and family. And I went to this thing and it was called how to get over the fear and horror of public speaking. And so that was really useful for me to kind of build that up a little bit. Um, I think I said this, but I kind of went off track. So it was three and a half years from that day before I ever got paid for one speaking gig. But I knew that whole time that was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I dropped out of college. I just started pursuing sales jobs. And then I even worked at my parents' restaurant. And the reason I did that is because I worked as a server. I put myself in situations where I had to talk to people. And when you're hearing me today, it's like, this guy has a problem talking. Guys, I swear to God, I couldn't talk to anyone as a kid. I blushed. It wasn't like I went up to women and blushed. I certainly did that. But like I went up 
and I'm straight. I went up to males and I blushed. I went up to adults and I blushed. I was just terrified of talking to people. I had social anxiety. So I had to, I mean, forget public speaking on a stage. I had to figure out how to talk. <laughs> like, how, how do I talk to someone in general? So I did sales. I did door-to-door -door stuff for a little bit. I just put myself in situations that were uncomfortable because I was reading to do that in these books. It said, you got to go through the discomfort. You got to put yourself in those situations. And with every door knocked on or every sales lead coming in, I sold cars for a little bit. With every a person that came into the restaurant and needed to be seated, I got a little more strength. I got a little more confidence. And then um, I finally gave a talk with a local psychotherapist. I made like $300 that day. It was awesome. It was like this, it was nowhere near worth it because I prepared for like probably 50 hours. But, you know, I, I made the $300. And nonetheless, by definition, I was officially a professional speaker. And then I think it was barely a little over a year later, I got a deal with a wonderful organization I'm still a part of today. But I do a lot more independent stuff nowadays because it's just, um, it's better. I can speak more often. Um, I have more flexibility over the audience and I can provide more content, more customized content. Mm. I work with the schools to really make sure they understand the message, uh, message or messages that are going to be delivered to their students beforehand. But nonetheless, I love those guys. So I work with them to some degree. And yeah, that's when I got to become a professional speaker. The radio was just something that fell in my lap and it came from ironic. It's so ironic because this is the kid that couldn't talk to anyone without blushing or kind of had a stutter as a kid. Yeah. It just was embarrassed. And I eventually met someone that literally said, Hey, you should do this. He was on the radio. I was like, dude, we, I got to get you on this. And he got me on. And it was just, how does that stuff happen? It just proves that you can take something in your life that you are so bad at or so uncomfortable with. And if you work at it, not only can you overcome that, it can become an asset for you. My biggest asset now is my ability to go out in person and communicate my ideas effectively. I do not mean that arrogantly. Please don't listen to just one part of me saying that, guys. Yeah. Listen to the other part where I'm saying, no, 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 I sucked at this for years. I'm not saying that to say, oh, look at me now. I'm saying that to say anything that you have, if you're scared of it, but you still think it's a part of your dream, you can work through it. You just got to put in the time. It's got to be diligent. It's got to be pretty much every day, but you will get better. And now it's not every time. It's not every time, but there are times where I'm so on, I go out in front of 300 kids. I don't even feel any obvious nerves. I mean, my heart rate's not even elevated. I'm like, how did this happen? It is so freaking cool. You overcame those fears. And I love that you're saying this because there's so many listening that have that desire in your heart. And I know if you're listening right now, like, you know what I'm talking about and take a second here. What are the fears? What are the doubts? I'm not good enough. Who am I? If you can, it's like riding a bike. You just got to work on these skills. And like, I, I resonate a lot with your story because I, I know I'm meant to speak on stages and I, I haven't fully done it yet, but as a child, I would, I would speak, I would run for student council. I will, I would, oh, okay. I spoke at my first communion and mom's like I don't know where you speak but like when did you speak like that right because <laughs> awesome. you, yeah if you know me in person like I, I stutter a lot and if you listen to the podcast you know I do but I know I'm meant to do that and I just have to follow my heart and trust it and this podcast has given me more practice and more tools and the more sure. I do it like you practice and it practice makes perfect and stop judging yourselves if you're not perfect on the first try did you think oprah winfrey was a, like a good speaker on tv you know right and like i, I want his story to encourage you first wherever you're at in life does not have to be your final destination mm -hmm. no your past does not define you 
And if you have a calling or a feeling and you know what I mean, I know you know what I mean, but you're, you're pretend, what are you pretending not to know? Ask yourself that. Cause I got asked that this quite this last weekend and it was a rough reality for me. Um, and figure out ways to strengthen those, those muscles, those skills that you have been blessed to give because not everybody has the same, the same gifts. Right. And I'm so glad that you said that. Like it wasn't just the first two speaking gigs that you overcame this blushing. I still have not overcome my blushing one. So <laughs> I have more practice to do, but it, you're right. You overcame it and look at your comeback story. You had that aha moment. You made that commitment to yourself and you came back. So now, now that everything you do now, based on your story and everything, what would you say were and are your, your success habits? The one thing I can always rely on, and it's, it's kind of funny being a quote unquote motivational speaker myself, I am obsessed with listening to motivational speakers to this day. There's a lot of reasons for this. There, I think there's a spiritual component, and I think this is totally cool to talk about here, obviously, knowing you. But when we program our minds to have a certain narrative, I think we literally, like very practically attract things into our life. And I think there's something a little more. I don't fully understand that yet, but I do think that exists. So, you know what? Actually, let's not even focus on that. Let's focus on the practical. It's a success habit for me because it puts me in a positive state. It gets me ready. And if you are coming in, excuse me, with high energy, a smile on your face, feeling pretty jacked up and confident because you just listened to something, practically, no law of attraction stuff even involved in here, practically, who are you going to want to do work with? Who are you going to want to give the promotion to? Who yes. are you going to want to go on the date with? Is it the person that's coming from a high energy state that looks really good, is all happy and confident? Or what if I come in, I'm like, um, hey, I, I just was wondering if I could maybe like get a raise. Like, what the hell? Like, you know, like you gotta, and I'm, I'm being funny because they're two extremes, but if I That's come in, I'm true. just like, yeah, hey, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, listen, I've been working really hard here lately. I'm really looking for a raise because I just, I want to make more money. I need more for my family, but I don't want to come in asking for something for nothing. What can I do, do you think, to provide more to your company so that I can earn that raise for you? And you know what? Wow. When someone comes in with that mindset, and that kind of energy, either you're going to give them the raise on the spot or you're going to answer their question and then you know what to do. So there's very practical sides to this stuff. So I listen to motivational content all the time. Um, I just experienced kind of, it was on a very positive note and mature note, thankfully, but I just experienced a breakup recently where this was the second person I've ever loved. And it was tough. You know, it really affected my work and stuff for a little bit. And so I just asked, I'm like, Ev, what would you tell anyone else? And I'm like, go back to your stuff. And so every day right now, I've been listening to like an hour and a half to two hours, usually all wow. in the morning of just Steve Harvey, Tony Robbins, all these different people that get me jacked up and it just gets me ready for the day. And then I feel so good and I'm operating from that higher vibrational state now. So that's definitely one. Lifelong learning is number two. Yes. You, I don't want to make it seem like such a cutthroat dog eat dog world, but guys in business and if you're pursuing success, whatever that means for you, there is usually going to be some competition. I mean, even if success to you is just having a good family, okay, let's call it what it is. There is competition for mates. If you want a you know, ideal person, you're going to have to earn that person. So lifelong learning, the reason that we engage in that is so that we can raise our value so that we deserve the better career. We deserve the higher income. We deserve that person because we have elevated ourselves. So 
both of those things can kind of be generalized. I know people have heard this before, invest in yourself. That is the best advice ever. If you don't know what to do, if you know where, nowhere else to go, you're like, I don't know what to do right now. Invest in yourself and investing in yourself can be getting Kindle unlimited for all of $11 a month. You know, you can figure that out. You can get that money. I don't know why the flashlight's on. Sorry. (laughs) Um, You can get that money and you can start just reading books on your phone. You can go to a used bookstore. You can go to the free public libraries and get this stuff. There is no excuse not to get it. And you can start putting that into your mind and getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, now the other step to that is you have to present yourself to the world too. As I get better and better at speaking, I got to test the waters. All right, let's go do that presentation. Let's go try this sales thing. Oh crap, I still suck. All right, keep on working, keep on working next time. All of a sudden, hey dude, you ever thought about being on the radio? Hey, dude, you ever thought about speaking? I'm like, you know what? No, but I'd love to do that. Thank you. And that's how it happens. Come. It yeah. takes time, but that's how it happens. So biggest success habits are definitely that. Um, they kind of look lifelong learning. You got to commit to that, whatever field you're in. And also kind of utilizing motivational content. It, guys, don't overcomplicate this. YouTube.com, motivational speeches. Oh, this yeah. one's 30 minutes. Click listen and enjoy it'll just kind of take you from there and you'll find what you like tony robbins les brown steve harvey steve harvey's got some like crazy advice like he'll tell you like not to sleep so use your discernment oh my he, god <laughs> yeah well St- steve harvey said he says something he says it with so much passion it's kind of hilarious he's like rich people do not sleep he's like you can't be sleeping eight hours if you want to be rich and it's like okay steve like, you know, people definitely sleep. So take certain things with a grain of salt, but you don't even need to always listen to the words. It's the energy. That's yes. the real key sometimes. It's the energy that these people are bringing. It puts you in a higher energy state. And then finally, and you know that we could do three podcasts on this. I'll just make a general statement for it for now, is taking very serious care of my uh, physical health. I have to do that. I was too sick for too long. I had a ton of physical health issues that we won't talk about on this podcast, in addition to these mental health ones. And I need to be serious. I go to bed at 10. I wake up at five, six. I don't wake up to an alarm ever. I mean, maybe five, six times a year when I have to be up at like four or something for a speaking engagement. The rest of the time, I won't wake up to an alarm. I let myself sleep. I eat super well. I'm very intelligent with how I use like my natural light exposure. And yes, that's a big success habit. And it's going to matter even more. I'm assuming it's mostly people within our relative age range listening to this podcast. Is that correct? Okay, guys, our generation got kind of screwed. We were the guinea pigs eating a ton of artificial crap from day one. More and more people weren't breastfeeding. There's consequences to our health because of that. No one in our generation can maintain, at least not for very long, the whole seven day a week grind thing. If you want to do that, I actually, I'm sorry, I don't know what your philosophy is on this, Tati, but like, I don't, I love it. I love it. So I don't like, you love what the seven day grind? I love the grind, man. Like I'm a nine. Yeah. I love 70 hours a week. Like I love it. (laughs) It's a balance. I think you need to learn how to listen to yourself and learn when you need to take a break Mm -hmm. for that balance. But I I do, I can't say I don't have those periods in my life. So, (laughs) but it's Um, learning to trust yourself. When do you actually need to take a rest versus like you can thrive in this this grinding time because you're vibrating at a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Cause I do believe when you're at a higher vibration, you can do and put out so much more. Bingo. Oh, see, I love it. 40 hours a week at a desk job you hate ain't the same as 70 hours a week when you love every damn exactly. minute of it. That's yes. not the same energy, uh, same energy being put out. I'll say. Um, so that's a big one for me. But my point is if you are that type of person and want to do that guys, you're, you can't ignore the health stuff. 
Mm -hmm. You have to be rock solid with your health if you're going to actually go out and try to do something like that. And the truth is to live a great life, we don't have to be working 78 hours a week. I am just, I think because of the experiences that I've had, um, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot when they ask him like, dude, how are you so energetic? He's like, I am so effing grateful, you know? I don't even know that I'm consciously doing that to be honest, but there is a side of me. I'm like, I am so grateful that today, I think I always carry this around. Today I woke up excited to be alive and 10 years ago I was waking up thinking, is this going to be the day that I take my life? Mm -hmm. I will never forget those feelings and I am so happy that I, I'm not even like one extremes here. This is the bad one extremes here. This is the good. I'm not even on neutral territory. I'm living over here. This is so wonderful. I am so thankful to be waking up and be like, I cannot wait to start the day. That's how life should be. Yes, yes, yes. And if you guys hear you listen to the podcast and you don't know my story yet, what you just said, it's 40 hours at a desk job that you hate. Like I work way more than 40 hours, but I'm loving my fucking life. <laughs> it's not work. Yeah. I, I you know. I'm like, how do I, how am I so blessed to do this? And maybe for you, it's, you, you know, you're, you want to be a teacher. You're an artist. You want to start a, um, a cafe. It doesn't matter. Don't think you have to do what everybody else is doing, but do what sets your soul on fire. Mm -hmm. I know that's so cliche, but do it. You have one life to live. And like you said, if you've been, in the low in the trenches like you guys know i have you know like his story now you just you're so grateful for life every yeah. single day yeah it's, so i love it, it it's amazing coming from the one extreme to the other and i don't think it's ever going to die out there's never going to be a day where yeah maybe i'm not sitting there like consciously yeah. going through gratitude or, or journaling about it i'm not doing that but i think there's just a a natural, natural. Uh, gratitude that sits there and it's like wow like thank you so much to whatever is helping me out and thanks for waiting for me to listen because now i'm listening and remember i said before it's like everything you touch turns to gold it's like 95 percent of my life now is just bam 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 and i know that all of us can experience that steve harvey despite his terrible advice with sleep he's he's at one of the best quotes on the gift thing ever and because no one ever tells you like how do you find your gift or whatever it's very practical and simple but it resonated with me so much when I heard it. He said, your gift is the thing you do best with the least amount of effort. Yeah. The thing you do best with the least amount of effort. And I'm not saying I haven't put work into the speaking, but considering where I started to where I got to, I will tell you this. Yes, there is way less effort, I believe, needing to be put in than someone else to go do that. Likewise, if I wanted to become a basketball player, like at the college or God forbid the NBA, Okay, that might be so much effort for me that that's just not attainable ever in any case or in any reality or world. That's okay. not the thing I'm doing best with the least amount of effort. Speaking to these kids is the thing currently that I know of that I do best with the least amount of effort. And I'm sure you can you know, relate to this, that you seemed like you really kind of felt that message. I 100% I did, yeah. And I just love hearing your story. There's so much um, more similarities than I even thought that we had, as you guys said. Usually like. Yeah, I really wanted to have him bring up and hear his full story from A to Z. And I've, I listened just as like you guys did. And I appreciate you showing up and sharing your story and sharing your vulnerability because this is what's going to impact lives. Because I know when I was at my darkest time, me listening to podcasts, having hearing other people's comeback stories and aha moments and their top tips and successes is what got me to get out of that, that lowest place in my life. And I'm so grateful that you were so open to sharing that and so grateful that you're doing the work and talking to the youth because that is so 
powerful. We will change the world by focusing on the children right now and the younger like generations, because I think they're living, they're growing up in a more fucked up world than we did. So yeah. we need to share our messages to them yeah. to really shift the world. Um, so thank you so much. And just right before we ended up, if you could say in like a sentence or two, what would be, what was the best advice you were given that you would like to share to the audience? Sorry, um, no, it's okay. That's okay. I'm normally quick with those answers. The best advice I've been given that I'd like to share with the audience. I think my hesitancy here is there's so many things that go through my mind that if I was asked this again on another podcast, I don't want to seem inconsistent. So I will say what is coming to me initially right now. And one of the best pieces of advice was you're better off having an opportunity and not being prepared or so, oh my gosh, did I just say this wrong? It's less Brown. You're better off um, being prepared and not having an opportunity than having an opportunity and not being prepared. I like totally mess up, mess up this important moment, right? But that's a good one. Yeah. And, and what that means is that you continue to pursue what you feel called to pursue, even if the obvious end result that you want is not in front of you. It's, I'm not saying that going to college and getting a degree and getting a job is necessarily any easier, but like, at least, you know, if you go to become an accountant, okay, I can probably get a job as an accountant. When you just say, I want to be a motivational speaker or, or start any business, right? There's no guarantees to that really. I mean, there's certainly much less than like a college degree. And so being prepared without having an opportunity meant I'm going to become sickeningly obsessed with becoming a better speaker, even though I have nothing. And you know what, when that opportunity came, to go speak on a stage for the first time to kids. If I was coming out on that day in like those um, in the same way that I was coming out to the first sales meetings, I couldn't have done it. It would have been too debilitating to do. And I was just ready enough to go do that and give it a shot. So it is always better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than to have the opportunity and not be prepared. And if you're in our range listening to this guys, um, just think, use your head, please. What would happen if you just took that skill that you really want to be good at. And you said, you know what, I'm going to go for 10 years and work on this for 30 minutes a day, never expecting to get a dime for it. What are you going to be 38 years old, 40 yeah. years old, and you're going to be a freaking master at that skill. And you're going to be living your dream life. Amen to that. And it is never too late. It is never too late. I don't care how old you are right now listening. If you already retired and you want to, it is never too late to work on your skills and follow your heart and your passions. Well, thank you so much. So where, how can folks get in touch with you, follow you? Where are you at so they can listen more to you? Sure. Thank you. Uh, main things that I have right now are obviously the speaking itself. And that's at evantransu.com. I mean, I, I, we can obviously say this on the record. This is coming out, I'm assuming after August, correct? You seem, or is it in August? Probably after August. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's after August, everything will be fixed up. If it's not, um, God forbid, then you will see that I still have like a little warning thing. I'm completely revamping the website only to talk about speaking stuff. So you have a contact form there though, but it's not the full thing. So evantransu.com for all bookings and stuff. I'll get it figured out. I do virtual presentations and I will go literally anywhere uh, to speak in person if that's something that's open and available for you right now. Outside of that, the radio show is going to be saved as a podcast. So search for the Friday Mental Health Power Hour with Scotty P and Ev. That launches August 20th of 2021, our first shows then. 
The book that I wrote is called Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. That's on Amazon. Part one is my story, much more in depth than today, believe it or not. And part uh, two is going into the natural things that I did to try to help it out. So if you're interested in natural health, that would be something to check out for sure. And then finally, um, I told Tati, like I get my fix for functional health outside of these types of podcasts now, but I'm always still going to drop it because I know this community is probably at least somewhat open to this, right? Some people probably really open uh, to it. Search for the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. That's the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We have well over 70 episodes now by the time that you're listening to this. And we interview people with severe chronic health issues that have overcome it. And I'm the main host on there. So it's kind of fun. I get to talk to people about this. So completely unrelated for the most part to the mental health and speaking stuff. But it's another cool thing that people can learn and check in. We have no ads on there. We have no sponsorships. It's just straight up information and facts. (laughs) Yes, I highly recommend doing that. And I'll make sure I have all, I'll grab all the links from you, put them in the description um, box, not description, yeah, description box below. Um, So it's easy for them to click and go and um, definitely stay connected. He has so much to offer, so much value. And I would love to have you again to show. Yes. Yeah, Duh, yeah, go. Duh, my new Instagram, Evan underscore transu. Oh, yeah. follow. I'm, I'm working on this to just make a speaking Instagram. Now I'm on the grind. I only got like 130 followers. Come on guys. Like, yeah, throw me something, please. That's like, I should have, this should have been the first thing I mentioned. Thank you. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But yes, go follow him give him some love. And if this, if his story impacted you in any way, which I don't know how it couldn't, but if it's something that truly touched your heart, please reach out to him, share what it meant to you or what you got from it. And again, if you are struggling with mental health or any type of drug abuse, or if you have a family or a close friend that is as well, please reach out, get help. We're here. If you need someone to talk to, if you need um, any more guidance, please reach out. We, um, we would love to help guide you to making sure you guys are safe and healthy and just know that you guys are not alone. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, we will see you on the next episode. And thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with me and write.